0: May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be just what we need to hear as we meditate upon them. First of all, before I begin my message, I want to point something out. I'm looking at my uh, telephone right now, and I'm looking at YouTube, and I want to say welcome everyone on YouTube. I'm seeing 13 people on YouTube. No, I'm on there, so that makes 12, okay? Okay. There are 12 people out there that, I should say there are 12 viewers out there right now. That equates to about 18 to 20 people. Because there's, in many cases, it's a couple that are watching us, like Ed and Shirley and so on. Uh, So we have about an additional 20 people who are here this morning. You can't see them, but they're present, they're worshiping with us, and we're so glad that you all are here. Would you say that you are a good conversationalist? Are you good at starting conversations? If I were to put you in a room full of strangers, do you think that you could start a conversation with someone quickly? Would it be a problem for you or not? Would it all be chit-chat? Or are you good at conversations that are meaningful? Nicholas Epley, who is a professor of behavioral science, he studies human interaction. And in his studies on conversations in groups, he put together a list of shallow versus meaningful conversations. Some of the shallow conversation starters that he listed are, hey, how you doing? How about this weather? That's pretty shallow. Uh, Seen any good movies lately? Uh, Have any plans for today? Any plans for the weekend? Some of the more meaningful conversation starters that he took note of. What would be a perfect day for you? What would it look like? What in your life are you most grateful for? Or how about this one? What's one of your fondest memories? Epley learned that even short, meaningful conversations with strangers help our sense of well-being, and they make us feel more connected with other people. He studied 1,800 people as they went through 12 conversation experiences, and they recorded their reactions. He concluded that there are two main reasons why we avoid starting a conversation with strangers. He says, people greatly overestimate how awkward it will be to hold a deep conversation with someone they don't know. And routinely, they underestimate how much other people really are concerned about us and about what's on our minds, what's going on in our lives. I found that very interesting, that study, and it was was recent, it was just a few years ago. We overestimate the awkwardness of starting a conversation with strangers. I am an introvert. I'm one of those people who is a little bit shy and I feel very awkward trying to get a conversation started with someone that I don't know. And much to my surprise, most of my colleagues who are pastors, most of them are introverts. There are very few who, are re- who really consider themselves outgoing. And it takes a great deal of effort on my part when I meet someone new to really strike up a good conversation that's interesting and that uh, will be meaningful and that they will remember. Um, Those conclusions, though, that he came up with give us encouragement about the goodness of people because he said that we underestimate how much other people really are concerned and care about us and about one another and about what's going on in their lives. And I think this research fits well with the conversation that, we just, that Terry just read about between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus and his disciples were, as the scriptures say, on their way to Galilee, and they chose to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria, through Samaria would, is the shortest route for them to go, but it's not the route that is most often used because there are many devout Jews who took the longer route and went around Samaria to avoid talking to the Samaritan people. The Jews and the Samaritans hadn't gotten along for generations. And in 2nd Kings way back in chapter 17 of 2nd Kings we see the Assyrians invading Israel. And they conquered Israel and they drove out almost 28,000 Israeli citizens. And the few who were left behind in Israel then intermarried with pagans. Who the the Assyrians were pagans that means they worshiped false gods and added some of their religious restrictions and their their religious practices and superstitions to the practice of Judaism so there was a mix there and these are the people who were called Samaritans well this put some space between the Israelites and the Samaritans by Jesus' day the two groups really didn't have anything to do with each other you just if you were a Jew, you didn't talk to Samaritans. That was it. You didn't. Well, traveling the wrong way, the, the long way around the, the village uh, reminds me of a story that I read. There was a rural village in Italy I read about called Calabrero," that is considered so unlucky that the locals call it "the town." It's the town you want to stay out of. Just saying its name brings you bad luck. They also call it the town of misfortune. The town has a bad reputation for a long, and has had one for a long time. But locals believe that the bad luck got worse around the turn of the 20th century. As the story goes, an expert lawyer who had never lost a case was arguing a case there in that town. And the lawyer said in the courthouse, if I'm lying... Then the courthouse chandelier will come crashing down, and guess what happened? The courthouse chandelier came crashing down. Word spread, and it soon became known as a bad luck town, a place to stay out of. Rumor had it that many of the women in that town were witches. That town was avoided then, in the early part of the 20th century. The citizens of Calabrero found a way to turn this bad luck, though, into profit. They built a tourism campaign around the idea of bad omens and witches. And today, thousands of people come there every year to attend festivals that celebrate the supposedly dark history of that town. It would take a lot more than a good tourism campaign to get devout Jews to travel through Samaria. They just didn't do it. But Jesus chose this route, and it was no coincidence that he did. He, it was part of his plan to reveal his identity as the Messiah, who would restore the nation of Israel and who would bring salvation to the whole world. And to point out the grace of God, Jesus went straight to that town, Samaria, to show his identity to the most unlikely person, a Samaritan woman. Today is the third Sunday in the season of Lent, 40 days that we set aside to reflect on all the events leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. For the month of March, we're studying four people, four people who met Jesus. Each of them had a different need that they came to Jesus with. Each person came to him with a different question To each person, Jesus revealed part of his mission as the Savior of the world. And each person walked away with a second chance at life, a chance to live a new life, because they had met God face to face. I pray that in this season leading up to Easter, each of us will get a second chance at a new life. We read in our story that Jesus was tired and was sitting by Jacob's well when the Samaritan woman came. He bypassed all the chit-chat, and he went right to what he got right to his point, and he asked her for a drink of water. Rabbis, in Jesus' day, were not allowed to speak to women. They were not even allowed to speak to their own wife if they were in public. So she was quick to question him. In her mind, Jesus was crossing two boundaries. He was speaking to a Samaritan, and he was speaking to a woman. And so Jesus answered, if you knew who I am, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's our main focus this Lenten season, the big picture. Do you know the gift of God? Do you know who Jesus is? And if you do, are you telling others about him? In our reading last week, we saw that Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees and that he didn't know the answers to these questions. Jesus offered him new life, and he walked away that day without understanding or accepting that gift. At first, the Samaritan woman also misunderstood. She thought that Jesus was offering her a literal cup of water to drink. But when she realized who he was and the gift that he was offering her, she received new life. And she made sure, as I shared with the kids, to go and to share this new life with others in her city. Like with Nicodemus, this encounter, this meeting, poses two questions. Again, let's answer the second question first Who is Jesus? To the Samaritan people and to the Samaritan woman, he was a prophet. She believed that he was sent to reveal the truth from God, but she tried to avoid her deeper conversation with him by saying, I know that the Messiah is coming. Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And then the next moment, this very next moment, is a real aha moment. Jesus answers back to her and says, I am he. I am he. I am who? the one you just talked about, the Messiah, the one who's coming, the one who's called Christ. Back in Exodus, when Moses asked God's name, God answered, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am was sent to you. During most of his ministry, Jesus kept his identity only very quiet kept it on low-key only to his closest followers. The only ones that knew for a long time who he really was were his disciples that were close to him. But when he did tell them, he said, Shh, it's not time yet. Don't tell anybody who I am. Even though Nicodemus was an important leader of the Pharisees, Jesus didn't reveal his identity to him. But in the most unlikely place, in this most unlikely person, Jesus chooses to say who he is. He reveals himself as God, as the Messiah, the promised one, the fulfillment of prophecy, the truth. What the Samaritan people and all the world had been waiting for is now here. And he chooses to tell a Samaritan woman, don't ever tell me that women are an important people. They were important to Jesus. She was important to Jesus. In March of 1987, a ferry crossing the English Channel from Belgium to England capsized, and it quickly took on water. And parts of the ship began to fall apart and collapse. At one point, there was a walkway leading to a ship which had come to rescue people. And it left, when it, when it fell, it left just about a six-foot gap. So people weren't able to walk across that walkway to get to safety. Well, there was a man whose name was Andrew Parker. Andrew was six foot, four inches. And so Andrew did the only thing he knew how to do to help these people. He stretched his body across that gap, and he said, walk on my back to safety. That'll get you through the gap. He made himself into a human bridge so that people were able to get off of that sinking ship into safety. Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah. He is the gap. He is the bridge between people and God. So it's very important to understand what he's offering her. And that brings us to our next question. What is the gift of God that he's come to bring? It's salvation. It's eternal life for everyone. And that salvation, that eternal life, includes the promise of God's Spirit living inside of us, helping us, encouraging us, being with us, guiding us, comforting us when we need comfort, and shaping us into the image of Jesus until the day that we see God face to face. That's the spring of living water that he's talking, up, that gush it, that talking about in verse 14 that gushes up to eternal life. Many people spend their lives trying to intellectualize their faith, and their religion is all in their head. We study our Bible, we participate in worship, and we go to church functions. We learn as much about God as we can, but we never move past that head knowledge to let the Spirit of God change our lives. But that wasn't the case with the Samaritan woman. She was so moved by Jesus' words that she left her water jar at the well and she went back to the city to tell others about this Messiah that she had just met. And that brings us to our last question from our Bible story. Who needs to hear the message of Jesus from you or from me? Because of the Samaritan Samaritan woman's excited testimony Others left the city and went out to the well to meet Jesus. The scriptures say he stayed there for two days in Samaria, and through his teaching, many Samaritans, Samaritans of all people, became his followers. They said to the woman, we no longer need to hear from you because we believe what Jesus had said. They moved from waiting for truth to knowing the truth, To finding new life through this Messiah, Jesus. There's a man named Joe Avila, who I've talked about before, who shows us what it's like to find a new life in Jesus and to share that new life with as many people as possible. In 1992, Joe was driving drunk and he caused an accident. In this accident, a young woman named Amy Wall was killed. In the days after he was arrested, And he did his jail time. Joe says he was angry, he was sad, and he was thinking of ways that he might kill himself. While waiting for his trial and second degree murder, he joined a sobriety program which was run by the Salvation Army. Through their influence, he became a follower of Jesus, and he decided to take full responsibility for his actions. He pled guilty to all charges. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison. While he was serving his time, Joe volunteered in the prison hospice program and with prison fellowships angel tree program, and he shared his faith with his fellow inmates in the chapel programs. He was released from prison in January of 1999. He had prayed regularly during all those years for the opportunity to make amends with Amy Amy Wall's family. He wanted to apologize for his crime and show them that he was dedicating the rest of his life to helping other people. He couldn't have imagined how God could make a way for that to happen. If he were that family, he wouldn't want to talk to him. And so as each member of the Wall family, miracle after miracle, asked for a meeting with him, he was able to apologize and ask forgiveness his meeting with Amy's father, Rick, was especially meaningful. Rick Wall told him that he had been following Joe's ministries in prison and kept track of him all these years and had already forgiven him for the death of his daughter. As Joe said, Rick Wall, of all people, Amy's father, forgave me even before I asked him to. What a beautiful story. Joe became director of the prison fellowship in Fresno County. He ran programs and ministries inside the prisons and coordinated that same angel tree program that he used to participate in, a program for families of inmates. His work touched thousands of lives in his community. He was determined to help as many people as he could, as many of those inmates as he possibly could, to find the new life that he had found through the love of god we will never have the answers to all of our questions about god not in this lifetime but this lenten season i hope that each of us will ser- seriously consider these two questions as we look at the big picture who is jesus and what is the gift of god that he came to bring and if you conclude as so many people around the world have for the first two th- for the last 2000 plus years that he is God in the flesh and that he came to bring us salvation and eternal life and to show us how to live then I hope that you will let these answers guide you into giving your life to him and if you've already done that you've already believed in Jesus there's only one question left and that is who needs to hear about it who needs to hear this message of love from you from me I hope that we have the same conviction, the same excitement that that Samaritan woman had to run and bring the truth of Jesus to all of the people in her city and to let them know about new life in him, and then to bring Him back, bring them all back, lead them all back to Jesus. May we find that same conviction, that same excitement, that same love for people. Amen.